Hello and welcome to Brains and Bellies with Ama Mama. Today we're going to be talking to Barbara Verrocchi and Kristen Lee from The Shala in New York City. We're very excited about the show, so stay tuned. Ama Mama fuses together ancient Ayurvedic techniques with more modern functional nutritional therapy methods in order to heal the body and mind. Using food as medicine as our mantra, we examine the bodily systems at play while simultaneously getting to the root cause of your health issues using two different systems perspectives. Beth English Myers, a nutritional therapist, and Carrie Jenkins, an Ayurvedic health counselor, will help identify what patterns in your life may be making you feel unwell be it diet, lifestyle, physical, or spiritual. So join us here for Brains and Bellies with Ama Mama. And here's today's show. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Carrie. Great to see you. We're so happy to have you on Brains and Bellies. Um, Beth and I have been talking about this interview for a while and really looking forward to it. Really excited. We feel like there's so much information that the two of you have to, to share with people. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. I should start with just letting everyone know that we have the history. I don't know how many years I've known the two of you, but it's been at least 20 years. And it's it's a, a yoga union, I guess I could say, right? Anyway, it's lovely to see you both. And I'm really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So I guess just to start with, I want to have both of you chime in in whatever time and space feels comfortable. I guess the first first question comes first. How did you get into yoga? I, I would say the, the initial impetus to start was back pain. Mm. I was teaching art in public schools and standing a lot. And so a friend said, go take a yoga class. I was also 29 and heartbroken. So the other kind of maybe another element that led me back to the classes, I think I was going once a week. And then I found that when I was taking the class, it was just kind of a safe space to cry and really feel the pain of my heartache, a little bit of a mess at the time. So I think that kind of led me back. And then I, I think the big draw, though, was a, a spiritual hole in my life. I was raised Catholic, but I wasn't practicing religion or any spiritual practice. I didn't have a spiritual practice. So I think the, the teachings of yoga that all of my teachers kind of brought into the asana practice really led me back to a spiritual self that I, that I think was really missing. And then it just kept increasing. So I practice every day. Got it. So Barbara, what years are we talking about? And are we talking New York City or had you started somewhere else? No, we're talking uh, New York City and it was 1990. Okay. Here back then you had a many, many studios to choose from, right? <laughs> Tongue in cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Where there weren't that many, but the what the ones that were there were quite spectacular, right? So Jiva Mukti, I would practice at the Iyengar Institute, Dharma Mitra. Mm. And I feel like all three of those places were really steeped in the philosophy of yoga coming from India. And uh -huh. so the classes were never just physical. Got they it. really were connecting us to something deeper. Yes. I remember I never went to Iyengar or or Dharma Mitra in the in the early days, but uh Jiva Mukti was really the place to go 
if you wanted to do yoga and, and somehow that feeling of safety, especially in the midst of being a young, confused girl in New York City, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. It really somehow let my heart shine a little bit and gave me some kind of connection into a world other than the crazy uh, New York City learning to survive. And Kristen, what about you? Yeah, what you say really resonates about kind of finding like a, a safe space or kind of a home in New York City. I moved here from San Francisco and I had tried yoga in San Francisco. I had a roommate who practiced Iyengar and sold ecstasy. And she <laughs> she got me going to some Iyengar classes. And then when I moved here, my best friend here lived with Sharon and David at the Jiva Mukti when it was on Avenue B in their apartment. And so I kind of dabbled there a little bit. And then throughout kind of, we're talking like, 88, 89, 90, kind of trying to find my way in New York City, working, school, things like that. I got a little caught up in the wildness of the late 80s and early 90s. Somebody who I will always be grateful to, Julie Tolentino, started the Clit Club. It was a club way back. And she was like the coolest person I could think of. And she was like, you should go to Jiva Mukti. And so, of course, I listened to her and that kind of started my my path there. And I was really hooked. And at the same, just kind of like what you're saying, I, it gave me like a, a structure. It gave me a community. And then like Barbara's talking about, also brought up Catholic and kind of not, that not feeling right, but definitely wanting something spiritual. And I really loved the way that their practice blended this movement because I was dancing also the uh, movement with something spiritual, like, wow, you can have those two things in one. Uh, like, that was just amazing to me. And so I just one day a week, two days a week, twice a day, you know, it kind of became like really, really a big part of my life. That's amazing. Yeah, I guess I was always thinking that we all were connected through Ashtanga, which we all practiced and taught as well. But when I think back, it was really Jiva Mukti that started my journey as well, because I was doing a little yoga before I came to New York, but then completely let it go and, you know, got caught up in the whole <clears throat> New York City situation. And I was as an actress back then in my early 20s, I was working with the Wooster group and all of them went and did yoga. They all did yoga at Jiva Mukti. And so I eventually, exactly what you said, both of you, it was first one day a week, then it inched into two days. And then suddenly it was like, if I wasn't doing it daily, I would find a way within my party schedule to like get yoga in, even if it was 7 p.m. at night. <laughs> so it's interesting how it all evolves in that way. And I'm super thankful to Jiva Mukti for being that root, I guess, of the tree that started the whole growth of yoga in New York City in a way. So Barbara, you said that you had some, well, both of you talked about your kind of spiritual seekings and the, the lack of that in your youth growing up Catholic. And Barbara, you mentioned having back issues. Is there any other health issue that either of you had that was helping steer you in that direction toward yoga, either physical or emotional? The back pain, I, I was also dance. I was also dancing a lot. Eric Hawkins and Martha Graham and Merce Cunningham. I was always taking beginner classes, uh -huh. always moving a lot, but teaching and standing really affected my back. Somehow the Yoga practice helped that a lot, maybe because it was moving more parts of my body. If you can remember, do you have any idea how long you started feeling relief from that pain? 
it helped within that first six months. And again, I was sporadic, the one day a week, like we're all talking about. And I yeah. forgot the twice a day, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I think we're all very moving center. And what about you, Chris? Did any physical or kind of mental ailments that steered you there? Well, probably some mental, just because the wildness of my living was not sustainable. So I needed to get that in order. Other than that, I was in a pretty bad car accident in my very early 20s where I dislocated a hip and an elbow. And I was always told that, you know, I was going to have terrible arthritis and that hip and all kinds of things. And so I really wanted to tend to that and maintain health there. That was super important to me because I had to relearn how to walk very slowly. And that did take a while. So I was grateful to be able to move and, and I knew I wanted to keep the health of my hips and it's paid off. I don't have arthritis. I shouldn't say that now. It'll probably come knock wood. It's really, it's really worked. And then here comes the Shala, your beautiful yoga studio. <laughs> How many years has it been now since you started? 2002 we opened. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that the meeting of your two beautiful minds happened and how uh, the Shala came to be and all of those juicy details. Yeah, you know, we we ended up doing teacher training together. We met there. And like I was saying, like community was a big part of finding that space. And I'm sure you felt that way too. And Barbara and I became friends and did teacher training the same, the same time. And we were both started teaching there around the same time. And eventually we just, what seems kind of crazy now, we were just like, let's open our own place. We decided the real estate was still inexpensive then in Manhattan, loft spaces were available. And we just decided we wanted to do it. And we got lucky that people came and we could pay our rent and we could pay our teachers and we've just continued on. Well, I don't know if I would say Obviously, luck is always a draw with everything, but it was well, well <laughs> very beautiful in many, many ways. So that original Shala was, I remember, it was on Broadway still, wasn't it? Yes, Broadway between 11th and 12th Streets. Kristen was living in East Village, was, then Nolita. And I was living in the 20s on the east side. And we were like, let's find something in the middle. But also, I, I think what Kristen's saying, it was... The conditions were right mm. for doing that. It was eight or nine months after 9-11. There was a lot of commercial space available. New York City at that time, you could have any really socioeconomic status and do something like that. As two women, you could open a business without a lot of money. I don't mean to idealize it, but it was an easier time to move around this Manhattan for sure. Easier than, than now, currently in 2021. Even when we were there. I feel that now, if you have that opportunity again, the two of you now currently, you would not choose to, to take that risk. Knowing the two of us, we often just leap before we look. <laughs> so we would probably still do it if we really wanted it. We're kind of form over function sometimes. We start looking upstate. It may not be New York City because I think we've wisened up that New York City, Manhattan anyways, is not. It's, we might be, benefit more from collaborating in New York City than from having something on our own. 
town. Yes. Other places like Brooklyn, upstate, outside the city, I could see us still taking action or we're always inspired or we always get ideas and we're always thinking like, what's next? You know, we're getting older. Like, how do we want to live the next phase of our life? Yoga is probably going to be a part of it. Certainly sounds that way. I mean, we just, we had to close the Manhattan studio last December uh, during COVID. And we have the Brooklyn studio that we've had in Fort Greene for 10 years. So we just took another big leap and signed a lease for five more years in Brooklyn. Okay, that's great to know. So here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) I love that leap of faith. It's that whole thing, right? Drive the car while you're building it, which is such a truly wonderful way to live, isn't it? Talking about getting older, Kristen and Barbara, how do you feel and your understanding of your yoga practice has changed over the years? I don't know if you want to share with the audience your ages. Feel free if you like. Marking how that has evolved through the years and also specific thing that Beth and I really talk about and try to educate people on is this whole transition period from menarche into menopause that a woman goes through and all the changes that happen and how one of those even years before can affect the other. So how how menarche affects possible menopause, how the fertile years are affecting what's going to happen once you reach menopause. I'd love for both of you to kind of share your views and experience on how yoga fits into that arc, those transitions, say the menarche fertility menopause transition. I'm just turned 60 on August 10th. Happy birthday. Thank you. So I, I, if I think about how the practice has changed for me over time and Mm -hmm. through these different stages, I I think I'm, like I said, I love moving. So I still really like kind of vigorous asana practice as much as it can be at this age. I probably pull a little more strength practices into my asana practice, whatever that is, holding planks longer or more, you know, some PT abdominal exercises that I throw in. And I definitely have gravitated more towards meditation and pranayama practices. So those practices, when I was younger, I would get so antsy whenever a teacher was like, let's meditate or let's do pranayama. I was like, oh no, no, (laughs) I just need to move my body. But so I, so those practices have definitely increased daily and chanting, things like that. As far as moving through menopause, I mean, just like that's a crapshoot. That was kind of a big mess in my sleeping habits. And I think that's when I adopted, I was going through menopause when I adopted my son from Ethiopia. So there was a lot of stuff going on in Mm -hmm. my life at that time. Yoga was definitely grounding. Teaching was super grounding in that transition. Probably could have done a little more with diet, which I've gotten into more uh, with an Ayurvedic diet, I think that would have helped in that transition. Got it. So you still kind of one through line that I'm hearing is that you have always gravitated toward the movement and toward the physical. I know some people describe it as an intense Ashtanga practice, although I know the three of us know it to be different than intense, but that still is is a part of your your practice, your daily practice. You haven't backed off that that movement. It's still kind of the forte of your practice. Yes. And, and we've always taught at the studio vinyasa classes that are Ashtanga based. Mm-hmm. So I often take those and I'll do a very, a, like kind of a Mysore practice that's for my age, like a little of first and a little of second, the poses I kind of pull in. I, I, 
I don't do certain things anymore, like Lotus, because of some knee issues, you know, so mm -hmm. I just, there's a lot of modification, but I like moving and breathing every day in that way. It's, it's obviously not as intense as what we used to do. Got it. Right. Um, when we were practicing Ashtanga at Eddie's or going to India, <laughs> so it's definitely tamer, mm -hmm. but it's still fairly, I like something a little rigorous. I like to sweat a bit. Yeah. And how about you, Kristen? Um, I would agree with all that. I think, yes, the thread of movement all the way through. I would say I was a little overly ambitious in the beginning of my Ashtanga practice. And I think once I had my son, that changed. I lost the ambitious thread there. It became maintenance. And I got very sick after I had Jules. I got C. diff. I had to come back from that. It's been there no matter what I just, I still have memories of being so pregnant and practicing and trying to get into warrior one or something like that. It was, it was always there. And, and the breathing became much more important during pregnancy and then continuing on. I have to move a little bit every day. Also, my practice has pulled back and like Barbara, I would say the emphasis might be more on meditation, pranayama. I love, find that so grounding, studying, doing a little more studying. We're doing like a, a Buddhist studies course. So reading and understanding teachings a little bit more, kind of all those things we got the taste of in our training, like have just kind of expanded, but keeping the, the physical part along with it. Yeah. Working with, what did you say, Barbara diet and sleep? I think menopause sleep got really tough and stability was really tough during menopause. I felt really unstable. And I think practice really helped with that. Just getting my feet on the ground during that time. It was such a, and it's just like, because people don't talk about it so much. I feel like I didn't have, I didn't ha feel like I had enough information to kind of deal with it. I couldn't tell if I was just really crazy or if everyone went through this and it was going to be a phase. <laughs> you know? I didn't study that enough, I would say. I hear you, but I also feel, I don't know if the two of you had this experience. It sounds like all three of us started practicing yoga in our twenties. And at that point, at least for me, I wasn't at all focused on what was going to happen in menopause. I, in terms of Ayurveda, definitely have a lot of Pitta in my uh, constitution. And so obviously I was drawn towards something like Ashtanga yoga. And then I loved the vigor of it. You know, I loved the sweating and the intensity and the kind of challenge and all those things without totally understanding that it was actually increasing that constitutional pitta. <laughs> I just didn't understand enough about other practices that I needed to do to help bring that back down, like meditation, like pranayama. And I guess over the years that has, yes, taken a hold finally, because I'm now understanding how important that is. But I don't feel that there was enough information out there for us women regarding cycle, regarding menopause, certainly even fertility, even how, how are we supposed to practice if we want to get pregnant, if we get pregnant, and then after we have a child. Mm -hmm. That's come a little bit, I feel recently in the past maybe 10 years. That's kind of one of the things that, that Beth and I talk about a lot at Amamama, um, her from that nutritional point of view, which I don't know if either of you agree with this, but even in the years in India, I don't remember anyone telling me what to eat or just be vegetarian and drink coconut water. And that was pretty much it and eat sweet food to cool you down, which meant what was that unbelievably sweet dessert 
gulab jamun. <laughs> Unless I was seeking out some Ayurvedic advice, no one was explaining what the sweet taste really consisted of. It was just as much sugar as possible will cool you down. So I feel that's changed a lot, that we can move in that direction even more and, and put more information out there for women in that regard. Yeah, and you, you actually came and did a workshop in our teacher training maybe a year or two ago. And we'll have to have you come back in, but it was around uh, menopause, right? Wasn't it? It was it a yeah, yeah. Ayurveda. So that is a big change, I think. Just even within the trainings we've been doing, that we're adding more Ayurvedic teachings in there. You, we have Maria Rubinate at the studio mm-hmm. who does a lot of that. So I think that that is combining the the missing links, especially for women, but men too, just kind of how all of that affects all of the seasons, our diet, and how that affects everything, our practice. Yes. The intensity of our practice, when it should be intense, when it should be a little less intense, all of that I think is now moving in, they're they're starting to blend. Yes. And I love that. And I guess, you know, no time is ever too late. So I'm very happy that it's it's here now. And I'm, I'm trying to think back onto kind of when any woman was sharing views on how to go about practice through any of these things, I was told, don't practice during menstruation, which even that was a little bit esoteric and confusing to me. I didn't quite get it because of course our teacher in India wasn't really sharing any reasons why. I believe it was uh, Saraswati who at one point wrote something about practicing after giving birth. Eddie's studio was still on Broom Street. I can't remember if I had had my son or not. So let's say 12 or 13 years ago. And that was kind of one of the first things I remember reading from a woman in the Ashtanga community on how to proceed with childbirth and after. And it was very much from a traditional Mysore Ashtanga woman's point of view who was older. Am I forgetting other people that were writing about this that you can remember? Well, Gita, Gita Iyengar is coming to mind. That's another style, but that I remember that book. I still have that book and I still refer to that book. She has a, a lot of photos at the back of the book, pregnant practicing yes, and talks about a lot of that in, in that book. I don't remember the, I feel like the Iyengar Institute or or just Iyengar yoga in general has talked more about that. So that kind of brings me, I guess, to another, another question for both of you to mill about and discuss. And that I'm sure some of our listeners are aware and some are not, but there's been a lot of sexual scandals in the yoga community over the past I don't know, 10 years, maybe a little longer. The people that I can remember in my mind, and there's, I'm sure others, um, are this American yogi named John Friend, who started Anusara Yoga. Of course, Patavi Joyce, who was the, the guru of, of Ashtanga Yoga. And then there was, even in within Jiva Mukti, there was a bit of a scandal, not a man necessarily. There was the Iyengar, just being accused of being too intense uh, with students. And I'm sure the list goes on. Those are the people I can think of off the top of my head. I wanted to just talk to you about how that has affected you as studio owners, how that has affected you as teachers and as women practitioners of yoga, specifically Ashtanga, um, where one of our teachers was accused of some really terrible thing. Uh, Any thoughts on that that you want to share? I could talk a little bit about it from the studio point of view. I think 
we had lots of discussions about it, the Tabby Joyce. We had his pictures up and we decided to stand in solidarity of the women who accused him. And we took down all the pictures. We had some books. So we took books down and we, we removed his name from the website as well. You know, it's difficult because he was our teacher. And at the same time, we want everyone who walks into our space to feel safe and comfortable. And that wasn't doing it to have the name around. And we did want to stand in um, solidarity with all of these women. So we talked it through. We we had a meeting with our teachers, I believe. And we have it as a subject in our teacher training now in the Yamas as we pass on teachings and make sure that that's really clear. As far as the other teachers, it's not directly linked. So I'm not sure I can speak on what they say, but I think we stand with the women on all accounts. And Kristen, do you feel like that any of these things have affected you personally as a yoga practitioner and kind of with your belief system and, and um, just your passion for yoga in any way? Well, the idea, it's about power and an imbalance of women to men and men being leaders in this business practice path. I think that's problematic. I don't have any personal history with the difficulties from a teacher. I'm really glad there are a lot of women (laughs) kind of leading the way. And we're just going to take a quick break for a moment for a message from Bethany. For any of you who have been feeling a little bit tired or sluggish, or just wanted to jumpstart your energy in a different way, please reach out to Beth and I at Ama Mama, and we are putting together personal cleanses for individuals, uh, working specifically with you on your specific needs. And you can find us at info at amamama.com. And that's Amamama, A-M-M-A hyphen M-A-M-A dot com. And now back to the show. You know, we have a group of yoga studio owners who all have an email thread over this year of the pandemic. Like, what are you doing about masks? What do you, you know, we check in on everything. Are you staying open? Are you closing? And, and it's all women. Great. So I think it's really great that, you know, women are running the businesses and women are the leaders so that we can take some of the power away. And also circling back to what we were talking about before, how there was this time when the power structure really was with the men, with the male teachers. And at that same time, the women were not being fed the information that we needed regarding not just our, our cycles of, of life from, from menarch to menopause, but just our monthly cycle, you know, other than don't, don't go into a studio if you're menstruating, but it was, it was very kind of confusing and, and difficult to navigate where to turn to and what, who to ask. And I feel like that's really changing and continues to move in a good direction. So I hear you on that. Um, that's, that's a wonderful thing that there's so many female studio owners. This is, this is such a big one. Yeah, I know. Big question. Right. First off, when you say it, uh, Jenny Holzer's truism, uh, abuse of power comes as no surprise comes to mind. Yes. Patriarchy is so old. It, it doesn't surprise me that most of the abuse in the yoga world is been men, and I'm sure women have also done that, but mostly men. So that's one thing. I think what Kristen's saying about taking down photos and names that came out of a lot of community discussion. So teacher discussion and within our community. 
So we had a statement that we wrote that was on the website for a long time. We had a lot of discussions, open discussions with students about it. A lot of women felt uncomfortable having his picture up. So it wasn't an erasure of the situation by just taking things down and we're not going to talk about it. We really delved in and for years, it took us a while to, to kind of process it. And it's still a thing I think we're processing. I think what it led to uh, was a few things. One is that we had to hold the contradiction of someone who had been a profound teacher to us for, I don't know, 12 or 13 years, who had given us a practice that's still very important to us. And is still, I think, a very beautiful, adaptable practice for any age and anyone. And from beginners to advanced, I still think it's kind of, uh, Mysore is kind of a, a brilliant in many ways. Uh, we had to hold that with truth that he had caused harm and trauma to women, mm. right? So that I think is something that you know, we all have to do all the time. We're always holding kind of truths. And then we, you know, we're sifting through what to do um, as, as studio owners and teachers, uh, Kristen and I really, and teach all the teachers really talked about like, how can we make this a safe place? And what can we do differently as teachers to not harm in any way, right? Do we need to assist so physically, right? And when we, when we were taking yoga, uh, the teachers, it was just a given that, you know, they were going physically, it didn't matter if I was going to an Iyengar class or an Ashtanga class or Jiva Mukti, they were physical and you just, you just went with it. Yeah. I remember elements of it that I was like, oh, wonderful. Like, I want to be taught. Like it's a great place to be touched. It's a safe place. And, but obviously it wasn't that for everyone. And um, there were probably times where I didn't feel like being touched so much that I was, but I, you know, let it go. And so I think as studio owners and also all these women that Kristen's talking about, you know, we have consent cards at the moment that are by people's maps and they can decide to flip it to sun they're, they're They want the touch which is yeah. can be so healing. And if they are more feeling more quiet, there's the moon, mm. just some verbal yeah. cues. So uh, I, I think we all learn from it or try to learn from that abuse of power and not replicate it. Yes. And I love um, what you mentioned about the cards because I don't know about the two of you, but one of the beauties of Mysore Ashtanga for me always was the loud talking. I, I love the quiet room, both as a practitioner and as a uh, teacher. I, I like the fact that there's not a lot of, there's maybe physical cues happening, but not a lot of verbal cues. That, that gave me peace in many ways. And so then, you know, moving forward into the situation that we're in today, I love the fact that that can still continue, but you can still communicate your needs with your teacher by just a card, yes or no, or the sun. And what is the other part you have there at the moon? Sun and moon. It was kind of a playoff of Hatha. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Another thing that comes to mind on, on that subject is, again, circling back how yoga was once versus you know how it's kind of transitioned and changed with a lot more women practicing, a lot more women teaching a lot more women, being studio owners, being leaders in the space. And the idea of the goddess, which I don't necessarily feel a lot of my teachers really embodied that. They were very masculine. 
They were very heated. I mean, when I think of them in terms of Ayurveda, there was a lot of heat. There was a lot of fire. There was a lot of intensity behind them. Whether they, you know, were wonderful teachers, some less wonderful, but I think it's an interesting concept to try to infiltrate that idea of goddess as women, as, as teachers, not only into the woman's space, but into the male space as well, so that they can get a better sense of what that kind of cooling, more moon-like, more sensitive, soft nature is and how they can embrace it as well. Because I think men also need to kind of find that soft side to themselves sometimes. And for certain, I don't know if you agree with this, but with Ashtanga, especially when you're kind of in that heated part of your life in the 20s and 30s, it can really tap into that hot nature, especially for, well, for men or women. But so how wonderful that we have women <laughs> kind of share this, this soft, the soft elements of the practice. Great observation. That brings me to a colleague that I have, an Ayurvedic colleague who's actually writing, I think she's completed it, but it will be coming out soon, a book on the goddess and I, specifically on Navratri and some of those practices for hopefully everyone. I haven't read it yet. Her name's Ananta. I'll be talking to her sometime in the next six months or so about the book. Talking about these transitions, I don't want to spend too much time on, on all of this. And we've all kind of struggled through this whole COVID period in lots of different ways. But how do you feel as yoga studio owners, as New York business owners, what's, what's the future like for, for yoga? What's the future like for people that want to open studios? What's the future like for people that want to practice yoga? Are we ever going to have that vibrant yoga studio where people are going to come and go and sweat and feel safe? Or are we just, is it just Zoom from this moment on? <laughs> Zoom forever. One thing I recognized from this past year and a half is uh, taking it as it comes. <laughs> I don't know if we can know because you think it's one thing, you know, we made it through this year, we reopened our studio, hooray, and then Delta variant. So you have to kind of scale back, shrink the class sizes, vaccinations only. So it's like, I feel like we just don't know where anything's going. So I think it's adaptability is really what it takes. A lot of adaptability and um, steadfastness just to stay the course with the large number of ups and downs that this past year and a half has given us. Beyond that, I don't know. We're hopeful we signed a new lease. Right. But we're keeping our Zoom studio also. We will be Zooming because that has brought to get brought so many of our students who've moved to Italy or LA or all over the world to be able to join us in practice again. That's wonderful. So some sort of combination, but really just day by day, what arises. It's really a lesson in non-attachment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The, the big teaching, right? You know, it's like there's been, we're talking about so many changes that have occurred since we started practicing to now. And, you know, one thing I think that's changed and where I think Zoom is kind of great, you know, we're doing kind of hybrid at the moment, right? We, we went on to Zoom in March 2020 and maintained a community through that. So it was a real blessing. And now we're in a kind of hybrid form of in-studio and online sometimes at the same time. But I think one of the big changes or discussions within the uh, yoga world is social justice, 
right, within the world. And so recognizing, we're recognizing and have been for a long time, white <clears throat> privilege or white supremacy or patriarchy have shaped the contemporary yoga world. So we've been grappling with that and working with a lot of people on that to change the studio and do things that address that to make the practice more accessible to all people. You know, we have a teacher training, maybe the last four, I don't know how many years we've had a, a BIPOC scholarship for our teacher training. And this year, I think we have about 12 students that are getting half off tuition. So it's kind of exciting. So we're trying to to grapple with that issue, which is big. And I think the whole yoga community is. As far as where it goes next, I think that's the area that's super interesting and where maybe Zoom has been great because it allows people from everywhere to practice. And especially if there's not a yoga studio around and the more we can train all people in teaching yoga into in a lot of these trainees that are coming in, uh, one of the big things that they wrote in their applications was that, you know, they want to work within their community. So, so that's kind of exciting to me that the yoga world that we've grown up in, that the three of us have grown up in is changing. And we hope to help with that, help on some level with that change. So I think that's a big thing that's happening. And I think Zoom is a great like outlet for that. Well, it sounds like the two of you and your studio definitely has embraced the change over the years. Maybe you could put that in the, the middle, the change, the, or the changing shala. <laughs> <laughs> and also just um, for anyone who might be interested, what? how often do you offer teacher training um, at the shala? Is that a yearly thing or does it happen more than once a year? It's it's yearly if we have people sign up. So it's really it really depends on the interest. If there's no interest, there's no training. If there is an interest, which there seems to be at the moment, um, we'll start one in October. Okay. Is there still room if someone wants to sign up or is it all? Plenty. Okay. It, will, it will be hybrid. We have a, a student in Brazil uh, that will be taking it. So it's going to be both in the studio and partly and on on Zoom. We did actually a whole training uh, during COVID. We were supposed to start a training right at the beginning of COVID. And we asked the students if they wanted to do it online and they all did. So we went for it. So you for, can write a book on them. <laughs> that was another, that was another big leap <laughs> of like craziness, but great. It ended up really beautiful. Speaking of teacher training and just a couple other thoughts that uh, Beth and I had that we wanted to talk about. How do you handle the, the dietary element of health and yoga? Being a yoga teacher really is kind of being a guide to people, right? In terms of their health. And although the three of us, I think we've all agreed, didn't get a lot of assistance in that department um, when we were starting out. Again, I think the tide has changed. So how do you navigate that? And along with that, how do you work with the kind of different uh, dietary restrictions? There's, you know, vegans, there's vegetarians, uh, and then there are people that come in that are, are heavy meat eaters and omnivores. And what are you seeing? How, how are you working with that? Are you seeing any kind of eating disorders masked within that? 
that's something I'm witnessing with Ayurveda and just with kind of all the choices that are out there these days with, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't eat gluten, I don't eat dairy, I don't eat, I'm a vegan, I'm a raw food, whatever it is, but I'm seeing lots of younger people that are getting very confused and their health is being affected because of their very strict choices. What are you witnessing and what have you witnessed as teachers and, and studio owners and, and is that changing? Has it changed? Has it become better or worse? We haven't really been in the studio that much in a year. So, and then when we're on Zoom, there's not much room for like a really personal conversation because we're all in those little boxes. Some of that's a little distanced for the moment we're going back in. So I think we can probably tap into that a little bit more once we're more in person. You know, we are having Maria's doing an Ayurvedic class every week. So that's a good place for us to direct people. She does cooking, she does seasonal Ayurvedic lessons. And I guess if somebody came to me and I didn't have the answers because I'm not a nutritionist and I'm not an Ayurvedic specialist, I would probably direct them to her for a Mm. consultation. I think somebody even did a presentation in teacher training on recovering from bulimia. That was super interesting and brave. And I think that was great to open up some discussion about that. It's hard to say with some people, unless you have a conversation because they don't talk about it always. So it's really hard to get the information and you don't want to assume anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking that I'm in the United States, eating disorders are probably really high. (laughs) no matter what age, um, working with college students, a mess, their the eating habits, just total mess. But I think we find that in our culture. And even no matter what background they're coming from, there seems to be sometimes healthy eating, but mostly not when they get on their own. We don't prescribe a diet as a studio. Um, I really lean now just from studying Ayurveda, Ayurveda more and doing a lot of consultations with Maria. She's really guided me and I, I can see how it's so personal, how you eat and it's depending on so many things about you specifically. And you know this as a Ayurvedic practitioner and, and speaker, uh, Carrie, right? So you know, illnesses probably stem from, right? they go right to the digestive tract usually when they're trying to heal you of anything. I would say that is where I go and even send people now because I feel like there's not one diet for anyone. And I'm definitely not in the place to prescribe a diet, but I but I think that that's a really healthy uh, way to have someone talk to some, a specialist, an Ayurvedic specialist to help them with their diet. Yeah, I agree. And I it would have been wonderful to have that opportunity, you know, when, when I was younger to have that suggested to me as I was starting out with yoga. There were much more broad strokes in those days than there are now, I feel. So again, movement forward in a good direction. So I wanted to just ask a couple of things. Beth and I were thinking about some of the biggest health concerns that we see as Ayurveda practitioner and nutritionist. And number one that comes up is anxiety. So any yoga posture or practice that you recommend to help people that are just have never done yoga and have anxiety, what can they do? I'll I'll give you the top four. We have anxiety (laughs) we see constantly, including myself. I'll, I'll put myself in there. Lack of confidence, insecurity. And again, that's across the board kind of with every age. I don't necessarily 
see it less or more as people age. I think it, it continues. Lots of, Barbara, to your point, stomach issues. Everyone's having problems with digestion, whether it's food or just experience. They, they, it's just hard to digest. And then confidence, insecurity and confidence. I'll, I'll stick into one category. So the three, those top three, anxiety, confidence, and stomach issues or digestion. Any postures you can recommend to help with those issues? What comes to mind would be meditation and pranayama and some sun salutations. <laughs> so like movement, starting in Ashtanga practice, probably little structure or something grounding, something consistent. That idea of, we always use the example of movement, like when the baby won't go to sleep, you put them in the car and you drive them around or you put them in the stroller and you move them so that that movement is what helps to settle. I might suggest some movement so that you can sit. And then I think we're just like a really simple breathing practice, if they're open to it, can be really calming. Meditation may take a little time, but also that. Any of the yoga practices I think are, you know, you're toning your nervous system, which is anxiety. You're too much in the sympathetic nervous system probably. So you need to put the brakes on a little bit. So long exhales, slowing down that way, and then moving and breathing. Got it. I'm already re more relaxed just hearing you say <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with Kristen. I, I would say a consistent daily practice of something. It doesn't have to be a lot. Some sun salutations get the body moving a bit, a little pranayama, five minutes meditation. If I sit a particular pose, I would be wary. Like I would say like, oh yeah, handstands build confidence, but I'd be a little wary because that would cause a lot of anxiety <laughs> to most people. Especially a beginner possibly. Exactly, right? But I think some type of a, a like just the consistency of practice and it's not a lot. And it doesn't have to be a lot and, and to find some, a teacher that you mm -hmm. trust that can guide you slowly. You don't have to step in. And that's why my is so beautiful. You step in, they teach you sun salutations, some closing, seated closing, you lie down and they can modify it for you. So you're not going in and taking an hour and a half or an hour yoga class. What advice do you give? to women in the city. So not just New York City, but London where Beth is or, or anywhere to those young female entrepreneurs that want to start a yoga studio or a wellness studio. Any, any good advice you have for them? I would say get a partner. Don't do it alone. Love that. You, you two are partners. Yeah, totally. Get a good partner. I'm lucky to have one for so long. Go for it. If you have a community that is interested, that's helpful. We did jump into opening one, but we actually did have a, a small community that was interested in, in being our students. That made us feel like, okay, we could do this. It's a beautiful thing to have. The studio, it's been a, a haven for us and our teachers and our students to have that community yeah go for it and ask us questions write us uh with that said can you let them know where to find you um what your web address is where you're located and also any other details you want to give on the shala and how people can practice with you. Our website is theshala.com. You can take online classes there via Zoom. Our studio in Fort Greene, Brooklyn is open at 83 Lafayette Avenue. You can join our Buddhist studies program that starts tomorrow night, every Wednesday through January every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. There's still room in our teacher training that begins in October. And we are 
offering discounts for all BIPOC people, young, old. Wonderful. We also uh, have these, like a free class card, which doesn't work because we won't see them. But if they want to write us, we're happy. We have a two-week special, new student special. But if they want to write us and and try a class, info at theshala.com. Thank you so much. This was great information. Beth, anything else? As a nutritionist, every single protocol I ever do for a client always incorporates yoga. The way I see nutrition, it's always meeting someone where they are. And I love that connection with yoga as well. I love that yoga meets you where you are and helps you to get better. I just find always with my clients and for myself, digestion issues, anxiety, yoga is just, it's so medicinal and so important. And there you have it, folks. Thanks so much for joining. And just a reminder that none of the advice we've given today on this Brains and Bellies with Ama Mama podcast is meant to diagnose or treat any health problem. Please do seek the advice of your doctor for any specific health issues. And join us next time on Brains and Bellies.